0: All right, hey, welcome everybody. It is time for Tech 37. My name is Rob Boyd, and uh, we're here today to talk about something that I think everybody needs a lot more of, at least everybody that I've met, and that's around identity and access management. And once again, we've got a couple of experts here with uh, just years of experience uh, at at multiple levels. And this is what I really like. This is not redundant engineers. Uh, We've got consultant level strategy. How do you make this work throughout an entire organization? all the way down through the nuts and the bolts as needed. Now, of course, we've got 37 minutes to play with, so we can't mess around, but we're gonna point you to some really great resources here towards the end, so hang on for that. But with this, I think it's time to get started on our identity and access management episode here on Tech 37. Let's meet our guests, Joe Well, Mafu and Mike, welcome to Tech 37. So excited to have you with me. Thank you. Thank you. That's good. That's where a part where you respond verbally. Very good. I know because I've had you, you guys are so well-trained. You're like, Rob said, don't say anything earlier. We're live now. It's all rolling. There's nothing we can do wrong. At least that's what I try to tell myself. Uh, either way, I'm excited to meet you guys. As always, I'm learning a ton as we go through this. But um, let's also start with some introductions. And I, Mafu, I'm going to start since you're right next to me here on the screen. Let's start with you. What's your background and what are you responsible for worldwide technology?
1: Certainly. So... I'm part of our uh, security practice, cyber risk practice, focuses on strategy and risk uh, with a really specific focus on identity and access management. Uh, My background is primarily big four consulting. Um, I was at Accenture prior to WWT and I was at Deloitte prior to Accenture. So a lot of big four
0: experience. Some consulting experience for sure. Okay. Excellent. Well, I know WWT is glad to have you and man, what a great... You know what I like just between us uh, about Worldwide Technology is that when it comes to consulting, is that they're very hands-on, active, get stuff done, enable people, as opposed yep. to and and forgive me because I don't mean to paint everybody with this such a broad brush. But my experience sometimes is consultants come in and they find ways to stay, and move in, and stuff like this, and that's not been my experience with Worldwide. Worldwide gets in and then and and you know you're expected to work with them and you're expected to figure out uh, how to how to enable yourself because. That's the only way you're going to be able to tackle new projects. And uh, so, anyway, I know they're happy to have you there. And so, I want to hear more about the practice we go forward. But first, Mike, you've been with Worldwide for a while. But what? uh, How do you describe your role at Worldwide? What's your background?
2: I'm also a principal security consultant here at Worldwide. I'm based in Austin, Texas. I've been at Worldwide about three years, but I've spent what seems like a lifetime in IT and security space. And in fact i think if we have viewers under 30 i've spent at least their lifetime uh in the industry i uh, previously was a CISO for 15 years in the financial industry so i've kind of been on both sides of that table understand wow. the risk and, and you know some of the things that are facing some of the business leaders out there
0: yeah and i think that's and, and that's really let's talk about that because mafu i know risk well for both of you i don't mean to say it wouldn't be important uh, but as we were speaking before about risk and the notion of really understanding how do we quantify risk because I think the answers are different for everybody but when it comes to identity and access management um, well I'm already I'm jumping the gun here let's have you define uh, what's important to understand about IAM I guess it's one of those ones that's I am hopefully it sounds funny to try and say that one out loud so I'm not sure how we should do that one but we'll, we'll struggle through it how do you define it and what's your preference on saying it <laughs>
1: Yeah, definitely. I think more and more we're just using the, the term identity. Okay, um, that makes sense. And, and it really comes down to how do you sort of identify, understand, and evaluate risk across your identity ecosystem? Okay. So, what are your personas doing, whether they're a human or a silicon personas? You know, what are they doing within your environment? And what sort of risks are they bringing into your environment? how do you measure that? How do you calculate it? And to your point, how do you quantify it? Right. And then be able to derive some sort of a business conversation from that. So you can talk to your C-suite, uh, the board and justify any investment that might be necessary to mitigate that risk.
0: In your experience, do you think most people understand when you're talking about your identity environment and the personas you're mentioning and such like this, um, It feels like, but I don't know, what's the level of confusion when you engage with somebody? I'm sure it's all over the map, but in general, are there some things you could point out where people sometimes get a little bit of straightening out to understand this is what we're talking about, this is what's most important, or don't forget a certain area, perhaps?
1: So I think my experience has been that depending on the type or the size of your client, right? Really large Mm -hmm. Fortune 500, Fortune 100 clients, they get it. And so we don't have to spend a lot of time educating them on what identity means or what a persona is they typically okay. tend to have fairly robust teams internal teams that understand that well uh, haven't spent a lot of time with with clients smaller than that so maybe mike you you could speak well, I'm going to that. bring in mike anyway
0: yes yeah, so, yeah mike what do, what are your thoughts on people understanding what you mean about getting that conversation started
2: yeah so so one of the first things we ask is what you know what does identity mean to you and so we want to get their perspective on on what the definition is but a lot of times what we see is uh particularly like mafu said with smaller organizations they don't really understand identity past the human aspect so just a regular user with a username Mm -hmm. and those kinds of things Uh, we've seen it six times the number of humans ten times the number of humans these digital personas that are out there they can get really big really fast um These are starting to really grow as we have uh, shared accounts, service accounts. We get into software-defined architectures where we have containers, networks, APIs. I mean, there's just, you know, on top of that, you throw in AI with bots and everything has to have an identity uh, to truly get the holistic picture. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle with, with the definition of, of identity.
0: So that's a good point. In other words, not going far enough to say here's all the different entities that really need to be established, because I, I, I guess implicit in that is you establish an identity, and then it's it's also important to understand. Um, I always think from my old old days in security about principle of least privilege and just defining, you know, what do you have access to, what do you not have access to, how is that regulated, what is the process for, uh, uh, you know, turning that on, turning that off, so to speak. Um, but those sound like basics. We're not here to get into the technology. Um, but, I mean, what kind of things need to be included maybe at a high level just for the moment? Because what I'm going to get into next after this question, I'm going to direct this one to Mike. But what what needs to be included? What are the technologies? What does an effective strategy kind of encompass? And from there, we'll get into, I want to dive deeper on this notion of risk, Mike and I were talking about earlier.
2: Yeah, sure. So, foundationally, you really need the entire organization to, be, uh, to have buy-in and to, f- from top down, to really get your arms around, around the whole IAM process. Uh, technology platforms are at the heart of the IAM uh, maturity effort, but the people and process side of it are are probably more mm. important in terms of the ancillary um, uh, details that you need to, to really put those within the platform and, and start to realize and get that risk reduction in some of the, uh, the business benefits for for the program.
0: Yeah. Cause I'm, I was trying to think maybe it's easier to say, what is I, cause I, I imagine the answer is not even uh, that simple that I was going to say, what is not touched by identity and access? Um, maybe being yeah, a shorter think- list, cause it, d- it does feel like everything. And so it really starts with every way in which you spin up an application to you start things to, as you mentioned, AI I hadn't even thought of that. And the fact that things are getting created and they all have a certain set of attributes that are going to need to be put into the system ideally but are most people do you find stuff is is happening on a on a somewhat uncontrolled basis and people are coming into this after feeling some pain around uh uh, something that they then look at in hindsight and go wow we need a better system this is getting beyond our control uh or some hopefully some are proactive about it i don't know it feels like it's something that sneaks up on all of us
2: you know, in, in the recent breaches, we've had a lot of awareness with uh, with identities and what that can mean to organizations, seven, eight figure type settlements to uh, to get out of ransomware situations. So, yeah, I think in a, a, a large part, you know, people are now coming in with with more awareness of the maturity scale, whereas they may have, you know, previously, like you mentioned, we've got the crown jewels or the, the best data uh that poses the most risk to the organization. We put in this castle and we put a moat around it and we've got the perimeter, uh, not so much anymore, right? If Mm -hmm. now, if you're not considering zero trust and segmentation as part of the IAM program, uh, you really should be. If, if you're a large and complex organization, you probably better be because, um, the days of keeping those crown jewels locked in the castle and, and putting a, a moat around it are, are gone now. That perimeter, you yeah. know, you're letting everybody in, you're dealing with vendors, you're dealing with contractors. So, you know, we don't wanna go down that rabbit hole of zero trust and segmentation, but it certainly needs to yeah. be in the discussion.
0: Yeah, do you mind just walking through uh, how to segment a network uh, in a real simple way, uh, Mike? i <laughs> Well, I, here's what I wanted to bring up. We were talking to you guys earlier and this is this is one thing I love cuz I think it exemplifies what makes WWT worldwide technology. And, and this notion, if you guys always have opinions about the right way to do things, and I've yet to come across a situation where I don't fully agree. Um, but specifically, you were, guys were schooling me on this notion of risk. Of course, we talk about risk with security and the fact that security is never about elimination of risk. It's about reduction of risk. But that implies so many more things. But then you proceeded to really, and, and this is where we put this list together, you really started to talk to, me, talk to me more about identity risk. And I really wanted to share this part of it. And so we got five things we're going to go through here. But the first one, the uh, this identity, this factor about lowering identity, is it lower identity and access lifecycle risk management costs? Mafu, um, let's kick it off with you. And I hope I got that sentence right. For some reason, I'm having trouble reading it. But how, how do you begin explaining this? What is what's, what is identity risk? And and why do you have this one as number one, perhaps?
1: I think really simply, managing risk, period, is expensive, right? And it's not easy. It's extremely challenging. Every single organization out there um, has a lot of work to do when it comes to managing risk. When When we really sort of narrow that focus down to identity, it becomes even more challenging and expensive. And so finding solutions, finding approaches that allow you to sort of reduce that cost, uh, is, is something that all of our clients are looking for across the industry. We're starting to see, especially after the pandemic, right? I mean, I think a lot of companies started to realize exactly how important identity was, Yeah, you know, everybody moved out, everyone's working from home. So, you know, BYOD is, is the way to go nowadays. Um, You know, really having a focus on SIAM, right? The client identities that Mike spoke about earlier, your contractors, consultants, other identities that are not part of your core team. How do you manage that and and the sort of intrinsic risk that they bring to bear? That's really crucial as well. And it's expensive. So we want to have a laser focus on how we reduce costs, Because if we don't, then we're not going to get the sort of, you know, investment from senior leadership.
0: Now that's good. And I'm curious, though, to double down a little bit on on the idea of life cycle. Um, well, what, what do you mean? What's meant by life cycle in this, in this situation?
1: So by life cycle, we're really talking about the, the process of bringing identities in. You may think of when you know someone joins an organization or a new app is spun up with a new identity that now becomes part of your ecosystem. Uh, maybe you have a new contractor that, that has to get onboarded. And that may be the beginning of the life cycle, right? They get onboarded. At some point, they get they get uh, access to a number of different assets, whether they're application assets or other assets within your organization. And then at some point, they get offboarded, right? Um, they either their contract yeah. ends, um, you know, someone may leave the organization, and so you have to account for that. That sort of constitutes that overall life cycle.
0: Yeah. Um, Mike, I was gonna, I was gonna nail you on this first one, but you can go back and comment on the the first one. I started on the second one, but this an idea of enablement of comprehensive and seamless identity. Um, do you mind explaining the importance here?
2: Well, you know, as we, as companies start on this kind of this maturity path, and and I just I did want to comment quickly about oh the, yeah please uh, about the cost of of IEM and, and wrapping your hand, arms around it. It is expensive. I always use the adage, you know, uh, you might reap what you sow, and uh, Mm -hmm. so in this case, you actually save the money at the end, and Mm -hmm. it's not so much that, you know, you're you're really seeing those efficiencies pay for themselves at the end. The more mature you get, the more efficiencies you see, and I think that's one of the things when you try to get this uh, entire solution together is that you know, as you start on the maturity scale, you may have some feeds from an HR perspective where you, okay, you've got your employees onboarded. Um, as you move towards more of that, then you might be able to utilize some scripting and, and put those users automatically into, uh, active directory, those kinds of things. And so, but by the end, and you're manually doing all of these processes, ads, moves, changes, uh, and deletions, at the end, if you can click a button and all of this is done automatically, you've shaved your time uh, dramatically off what it takes mm-hmm. and everything is in a central repository and becomes very easy to manage from an auditing standpoint and a governance standpoint as well.
0: Yeah, I feel like autom- we've talked a lot about automation on the um, on this show and other episodes and, and other topics because, of course, it's hot everywhere. but. But this notion, I, I feel like automation is probably very much key to eliminating uh, simple mistakes and and making sure that processes are actually happening when they're triggered by other parts of the organization when certain things happen, because it, it quite often in security, it just feels like we're always pointing back to some failure of the human element, whether it be a social engineering uh, uh, thing that was done by mistake. You know, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, intrusions seem to be not because someone was purposely malicious, but because uh, the systems just allowed them to not necessarily follow a policy or uh, to have a little scope on credential creep or something like that that, um, uh, that could begin to bite them. Um, yeah, Mafi, did you have any, any comments on, on either of these two right now?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think as systems, the complexity of the systems that we use increases, then you have that proliferation of overly permissive controls, right? So you're giving somebody... You know, it's a lot easier to simply add access than to try to go back and audit that access and remove or determine what's applicable and remove it. And that's somewhere where, you know, to Mike's point earlier, figuring out approaches to automating that process and removing more of the human element becomes extremely important. There are a lot of exciting things happening around that, right? And everyone's using a lot of AI. You're hearing about, you know, a lot of machine learning being put to work to kind of help do that. And, and I'm mean, i sure we'll probably talk about that a little bit later in the call, but that is probably the biggest way right now um, or one of the, the, the best approaches to reducing complexity, reducing cost and automating a lot of that work that goes into managing risk across your identity lifecycle and governance space.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I want to bring up number three here. Um, boy, this has always been a big one for me, but it's visibility. And I'll be honest, when you first told me about this, when I had to look up SOD, um, but I'll let you, uh, Moffield, to start with you, you already have the microphone, I'll let you explain what is SOD and what's important, what's an SOD violation? It sounds bad, I don't want an SOD violation.
1: <laughs> so a, SOD really simply is the segregation of duties, right? It's the premise that you don't wanna have, well, you, you have to have some differentiation between the level of access that you're giving to different people, different okay. resources, different personas. Right. Whether they're human or silicon, you don't want everyone to be root, for example. Right. Um, and then you also have to figure out what's appropriate. Right. Someone may need root access temporarily for a specific purpose. So but having visibility into where there are misses, mm-hmm. right, where there are, there are instances of overly permissive access being given to a persona is crucial. In order to be able to manage risk right to secure your ecosystem
0: yeah it's funny and i don't know mike it, if you've run into this it feels like i've had a lot of clients uh, over time where there's this notion of um someone makes a mistake of thinking about an individual's access rights and who that individual is um as opposed to their role and so they're like well so and so would never do such and such and then and it's because it's easy to then forget that it's really about the role and the fact that well imagine in any given role if if someone that you didn't you know that had ill intentions uh you know had access to that and and uh, because that's a lot of where we're seeing the ransomware and the and other things crop up is where someone gets access rights and then they're using that to kind of bridge themselves into other places depending on on what those rights are and so limiting those becomes a, a first segmentation kind of step i believe mike have you seen that or am i just uh old old days issue here
2: well, no, you're not old days issues. We see it all the time, right? I mean, what happens is we get a lot of this uh, in the governance side of IAM mm. where managers are forced to look annually at what, what uh, entitlements their employees have. And sometimes those can get up in the tens of thousands uh, of lines that you need to, to look at. And when you talk about roles, if we can define a specific role like a claims processor, and say, okay, this claims processor should get these nine thousand entitlements to do their job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where you segment exactly what they need in least privilege to do their job. Then you can do a di- um, a discrepancy review and say, I don't need to see those nine thousand because I know they need those. I want to know what those other thousand are that um, that they okay. have, and why do they have them
0: yeah like a gap analysis and you guys are kind of talking about this but reminds me too of this of the notion of it's not just when a person leaves but when someone changes roles they get promoted they move laterally whatever it is you've got to strip those previous rights um, away from them because if they're not needed then they shouldn't have them yeah
1: yeah you may need to i think that's one of the big challenges that companies have right i mean roles um, the, the requirement to have different types of access changes on an ongoing basis It's completely fluid and dynamic. Yeah, so right. tracking yeah. that, you know, to Mike's point, being able to sort of go through and audit that and understand where you have areas of risk is extremely challenging if you do it manually. you I mean, we now have a lot of different approaches, right? Again, using, in quote, unquote, you know, the overused AI term. And I have a yeah. lot of colleagues who may who may really challenge that usage of that term and say, hey, we don't really have true AI yet. It's just machine learning. But being able to use that capability to, one, assign some sort of risk score to a persona and the types of access that they need to have, right, their entitlements, and then be able to automatically, be will, mm. right, provide, you know, entitlement,
0: them. Yeah.
1: With that level of access and then remove it And sometimes the access is only required just in time. If you're doing something on an emergency basis, for example, you may only need, you know, some privileged access to an asset, an application asset or something else for maybe an hour after that, you shouldn't need it, it should be removed. But going back and tracking that manually is extremely challenging. If you're able to sort of, you know, predict the sort of access that a persona would need now, next, later. And manage that, and it reduces the complexity. Yeah, and, and you there guys are, are both approaches to yeah. doing that today.
0: Well, We're and you, now you're reminding me too of the importance of logging and having an audit trail um, as part exactly. of that to be able to go out. And I would imagine that comes up in terms of when we talk about you guys both mentioned governance, making this stuff simple, because uh, you, I feel like we've all got horror stories, or we've 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 dealt with the overeager, um, you know, security team that shuts down everything and just makes it feel like work's impossible. Uh, I feel like you guys have dealt, I'm sure you guys have done the counseling necessary to work with users who have been through that process, uh, because I've seen the systems you guys work with and the way in which one of your goals is to make security essentially as invisible as it possibly can be while still maintaining the, the, the right posture. Um, but when it comes to governance, access review and emergency access management, what's important to understand there, Mafu?
1: So I'd like to tell a, a little bit of a story okay. um, to, to make a point. So we had a, uh, there was a company, shall we remain nameless right now, that Perfect. experienced a, a an impact recently, a major impact that impacted uh, quite a few clients. Unfortunately, um, that doesn't narrow it down much,
0: so you're still safe?
1: Yeah. Well, well they lost access to their yeah. ecosystem for a period yeah. of time. Um, and they actually had, you know, after review, they actually had, an emergency access process in place okay. that would have allowed them to retain command and control of their systems. However, good. it hadn't been tested in a while. And so when oh. they tried to use it, it failed and they were completely locked out. You know, it was standard ransomware attack. And so they ended up spending quite a lot of money to regain access to their platforms. And that effect was felt all over the country. Right. So and the, you may yeah. know who I'm talking about now. I'm not naming but names uh, either, uh, but, oh, but, but the idea, uh, <laughs> but I,
0: but what you're saying there too, it, it, it to me, it's always come up in, in resilience discussions and backup and exactly. recovery and such like this is that mm-hmm. it is fantastic if you've got certain things in place, but if you don't have a periodic review that both takes into right. the technology that's involved that has to interact to pull this off and you can, you have a way to simulate these things. But it's also, I think, testing your people. It's like, how do you, because inevitably when these things happen, especially with ransomware uh, being so prevalent lately, it feels like. Um, you don't want this to be the first time you've. Everybody's actually executed on the plans. They may know the plan. They they may have been involved with getting the plan set up, but the actual execution, especially in time of of what is essentially a very stressful uh, period, when maybe depending on who you are, the world's watching you uh, a little bit more closely. Exactly. You know, those are those minutes are burning dollars. Uh, it feels like in a in a painful way.
1: Mike, exactly. So being what able to streamline that. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike.
2: No, I was just going to follow on with that. You know, we talked about uh, logging and those kinds of things. when we talk about PAM or privilege privilege access management, um, a lot of times we'll write code and policy around those privileged accounts where we automatically turn on audit trails and logging or session recording, those kinds of heightened awareness and levels are needed for those types of, of things. Because like you said, Rob, uh, you know, in the old days, system administrators kind of fiddle around a little bit with best practice. And if it's easy to create this account to do a certain function, a lot of times they'll do it and, uh, and not remove those accounts and some of those things. So, you know, from, from the entire uh, ecosystem there, you really need to have those audit trails for those privileged account at a, at a higher level.
0: Yeah, and and yeah. Now you made me think of also the horror stories around everybody. Hold on one second. I'm realizing I feel like I'm overpowering you guys on my microphone um, on this one. I hope I'm not shouting, and everybody's gonna complain later. I'll find out about it. Um, But this, uh, I I, I've I've seen so many situations where if you don't have some type of oversight, uh, the worst thing, and this happens a lot in smaller companies that I've seen, where um, somebody has has put in say back doors, it's not always quite that evil sounding but the notion of this is easier for me to do my job from home or to check something so i don't have to actually drive into the office and they have they've given themselves these rights because they either always have or have some temporary uh, admin privileges throughout the entire system but then those things uh, because they're kind of side doors um you know they get found out, and and if you don't have a uh, have some checks and balances to discover that as part of a normal process, because maybe you're in an unregulated industry or something that doesn't have that, you you need to be thinking about that. It feels like and being putting putting that into place. To your point,
2: absolutely, it's a again one of those risk factors out there that if you've got side door access like that, uh, you really need to be gathering those identities straight from the application analyzing those and making sure that you mitigate that risk
0: yeah here in texas we always go hey the back door that's just for friends and neighbors it's a little (laughs) bit different now um (laughs) this uh it's it's probably not the case um number five mafu this reduced audit deficiencies and compliance violation that sounds like a good goal so that's specifically around uh identity risk uh to wrap our top five here yeah
1: yeah so you know, depending on the industry, right, there are a number of different, uh, you know, compliance requirements uh, that may or may not lead to an audit um, somewhere down the road, right? Most large organizations end up having audits of various types at different times. Mm-hmm. And so being able to, and, and then, you know, it's typically too late once you've completed the audit and you have a bunch of findings, right? Now after have to, to rush around or hire a large consulting firm like us to go on and help you mitigate that if you were able to ahead of time understand what your risk level was especially around identity and then start to reduce those audit deficiencies right you end up with in compliance violations you end up with a much smaller group of findings you know maybe one two or three hopefully that are much you know they're probably going to be the pretty expensive big ones that you have to address but you can focus on that. It makes it a lot easier to have a conversation with leadership where you have to justify the investment to mitigate risk, as opposed to coming back to them and saying, Hey, we've got a thousand you know, right. vulnerabilities yeah. and violations and things that we have to resolve and it's gonna cost us millions and millions of dollars. So yeah, being able to reduce audit deficiencies and compliance violations is, is key. All of our clients are really, really interested in understanding, you know, what approaches work best to do that. Yeah big conversation that we have all the time well
2: we've seen it with customers too where um their controls are are vague and we you know a lot of times we do that on purpose because we don't want those findings so we'll say we'll remove this person uh after they leave in a timely manner well what does that really mean as we <laughs> yeah. come in and, and mature them up we can set sla so we can say within two days, within three days, and we can prove it to audit and we can reduce the risk and be measurable in, in how we do that. So that's an important piece as well, that we can actually you know, hold ourselves accountable and measure uh, how effectively the program is working.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's a, those squishy words you're kind of referring to. Those are the things I always try to get away with whenever I was forecasting <laughs> business, you know, uh, in a job or, or with my company and, and things like that. And, you know, because it, the whole idea is sometimes those are put forth because someone doesn't want to put something out that they know they are going to have trouble meeting, perhaps. But that's the whole point. And it sounds like you guys are very accustomed to um, helping people through what I would imagine is quite often a cultural shift uh, in terms of how to think about these things and, and really leading with an IAM uh, strategy um, that is still respectful of the business, still respectful of everything that needs to happen, but at the same time is reducing the, those unforeseen disasters that seem to be cropping up on a more regular basis. Um, but I like these this this notion of identity risk that you've taught me uh, because I, I I love the risk discussions but especially when they get very practical and I would assume uh, as we'll we'll give a few resources here at the end in just a moment but um, this is what this is part of your practice this is what you guys help companies uh, of all sizes do because I would imagine the clients that come to you guys must uh, generally be in some uh, in some shape where they're struggling with either the growth that they've had the uh, the changes that they've had or maybe the to something that's happened, or ideally if they're just interested in making sure they do it right, I assume you guys can hold their hand and, and make that less painful than it would be to try and stumble your way through the dark.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, and especially what we've seen is, you know, post-pandemic, I think um, there were opportunities for, you know, a lot of stuff, especially around risk management, sort of be pushed to the back. Right? There were other areas that we could really focus on and, and, and direct investment to. We're not post-pandemic, but the the new pandemic business reality is, if yeah. you will, are really sort of, um, I think, not even forcing, but really requiring some, all of our clients and industry as a whole to take a much deeper look at... Identity and access management, right? And the risk inherent therein. And so, yeah, we get calls all the time uh, from clients who are really interested in one, gaining visibility into the amount of risk that they have, mm-hmm. understanding what the impacts are. And there's some interesting things that occur as a result, right? You go in and, and uh, start to peel back the covers uh, or the layers of the onion, if you will, and um, start to realize, you know, one of the questions we always ask our clients is, hey, can you provide us with an application catalog that has some sort of business impact assigned to your application assets? Some do, and yeah. many don't. And it's an exercise, right? Because they yeah. may have had that maybe three, four years back. Um, oh, it it's needs gotta to be, be a be living repressed. document. Yeah. Definitely has to be a living document. And it's absolutely essential to being able to calculate, identify, and understand risk within the environments, especially when it comes to identity, because we're really talking about you know, where the different personas are, where they live, and what sort of assets do they need access to? Yeah. Ah, So you brought up the maturity model. I did, (laughs) because I feel like you're
0: hitting on that. And I love this as as just one final thing to share out of of your practice. I hope I'm okay sharing this stuff. And it's hard for maybe people to see some of the small type, but the notion I think is easy to understand. and. I'm struck by the fact that both of you have mentioned this notion of, of asking probing questions that sound like are going to come up and there feels like there's really two big angles to most of the questions you're asking. One of which is of course, for you to learn more about what's the status of this client, where's their headspace um, you know, compared to the actual reality um, you know, as you're kind of matching those things up. But it also feels like you're kind of using the Socratic method of helping them understand where they're at because it's, uh, it's always those questions that I'm always struck by when someone asks me that cause me to think, and I go, dang you, that's a good question, and I don't like answering it. Um, but it reflects where are you on the maturity model. Uh, Mafu, can you explain a little bit about this? And uh, we've only got a couple of minutes left, but yeah, what's important here?
1: I think the most important thing is uh, really... So I'll take it back, maybe take another approach. Talk sure. it. So typically when I show this to our clients, Right. I mean, obviously, we'd love to see people at level five where it's completely optimized, but I think it, it gives them a bit of a reality check because they typically end up self-assessing themselves. And, um, and some of them typically end up saying, we're probably realistically, after they go through it, at a level three. Maybe we're headed toward level four. Maybe we're we're maybe a little bit lower than that. Right but that's typically where we see a lot of our clients. And, you know, if you read through the content, I'm not sure if they can see all the content, but all of those steps. And so the expectations that you should have, if you're at that level of maturity are really, really important because they drive the next set of steps, right? That now drive your maturity up a bit. So this is something that's extremely helpful for all of our clients. It might, yeah, they, Mike. I would yeah, yeah. there's no
0: benefit to lying about this, right? There's no benefit to no, self-assessing no, with no, rose glasses. Yeah.
2: And the biggest challenge I think we see, you know, nine times out of ten, is that they over-assess themselves on a maturity scale level because pieces sure. of this they might be at a level four, but overall, you uh, you know, like Mafu said, it's really a journey, and you've got to have the pieces from level 2 and 3 completed before you can really They're very get foundational. To, yeah. Yeah, to level 4 and so, you know, that's where we can come in and offer that value of, of really providing that gap analysis and letting the customer know exactly where they do fall within the maturity scale and then provide them a roadmap of of how to get there and in again, it's I like to say it's it's not a destination but a journey, but there is a destination. You have to have clearly defined where do you want to go and kind of work yourself back and figure out that roadmap on how to get there. Now, it will evolve after you get there because threats right. never change. Right. But uh, you do need to have some wins along the way and, and make those milestones and get those steps on the maturity scale knocked out as as you progress.
0: Well, Mike, while you've got the microphone here as we wrap things up, because actually that's a great point is... You know, we've, we've hinted all along. You guys provide, I started working with you guys back in the earlier 2000s um, because you were you were just really the, the group to work with when it came to labs and multiple technologies and how to bring things together. Especially since then, although I think you were doing it then anyway, this consulting practice and this notion of really being full service, not just technology, really work within what's important to a given client or given customer a little bit about the labs you guys have
1: in place and what anybody that's watching this and maybe I'm ready to come talk to you and see if
0: that's really the truth um, what, what do you recommend Mike what kind of services or resources can we tap into here so
1: and that we can put a proof of concept that's the advanced technology and- really demonstrate exactly how it can transform that.
0: Cool for companies to
2: actually be able to utilize that.
1: Yeah. And then
0: Mafu, final words. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just to piggyback on that a bit, I think one of the things that, that I've found and I'm newer, the wwt the mic but clients are really i think it really resonates when we can sort of walk them through some of that journey that we talked about when we were discussing the maturity model right in the lab so they don't have to do a significant investment They can come in and see hey well you know if we want to better understand the lab in place and what does that actually look like and so we have these sort of uh, engagements where it's not really a POC, but we're actually walking them through what an entire identity and access management engagement would look like. Mm-hmm. From top to bottom, we have program managers oh, assigned, nice. we work with them, and it, you know, most of the time it'll end up turning into something that's actually enabled within the client's environment, right? Yeah. But they get a chance to see and sort of live and experience that before they do anything in their own environment, that's really, really, really valuable.
0: Well, and I feel like yeah, one thing, en-
2: yeah, go ahead engineers Mike. Can, I'm sorry, I am just gonna say, the engineers mm-hmm. can turn the wrenches, can play with yep. it, the developers can mm-hmm. get in, mess with it, uh, you know, play with it to their heart's content and, and not cause any damage. So it's it's very valuable in, in right. that aspect as well.
0: Yeah, I love the fact you guys started off by talking about how this kind of thing really needs to encompass the entire organization and that doesn't mean the entire organization necessarily uh, is, is working with you or in your labs or anything like that. In fact, well before we were you know, doing crazy stuff with with COVID lockdowns and things, you guys already had enabled remote access to your labs. Customers uh, were engaging quite a bit. So even though I quite recommend mm-hmm. going to St. Louis and physically um, just seeing what can be done there and just the, the fact that there are so many vendors represented from a technology perspective but what I really love is you are ready to meet customers where they are is what it sounds like. Cause I don't exactly. think anyone is starting on this from scratch. If there is even such a yeah. thing, there's always something in place that's not quite meeting needs um, and is exposing people. And it, at the very least, and now I'm speaking directly to our audience here, I recommend that you guys engage with worldwide technology uh, to baseline, figure out where you are uh, today so that it's fine. It, you know, I, As we've always said to keep on the risk discussion, uh, it's, it's, you don't want risk you don't understand. If, if you're accepting the risk and that's fine, that's fine. That's that's a business decision. But to not know what that risk is or not know how it would affect you, and maybe that is a hard question to answer, but that's exactly what worldwide technology is really good at, at, at nailing down, even if it's beyond identity and access management, I'll say that's probably going to be where a lot of it ends up. But, uh, but just the notion of acceptance of risk is just fine but don't do it blindly and don't assume you know. Um, and it's good to know from these guys, they won't tell you names, but they'll, they'll help you benchmark against your peers and go, you're really far off. You're, you thought you're a, because I would have used decimals. I would have gone, I'm a 4.2 uh, on the maturity <laughs> scale. And, you know, no, Rob, you're, you're barely a two um, either way. Gentlemen, Mafu, Mike, um, well-representing worldwide technology and the rest of the engineers and consultants you guys have behind the scenes there that I don't get to talk to. Thank you so much for spending time with us on tech 37 to those of you watching here. Of course, there are links to uh, good written information. I encourage you to join WWT.com. You can actually join, be notified when these guys are publishing stuff. You can, you can uh, follow on via topics uh, that are of interest to you, whether it's this or something else. There's a lot of labs. Don't cost a dime. So many ways to learn, be engaged and make sure that you're staying on top of these things so that you don't get bitten uh, in some way that you could not have foreseen. Well, f- My name is Rob Boyd. Thank you for watching. Guys, we will see you on the next one. Enjoy the rest of your day. Take care.